Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of the Ocean View Podcast. No matter where you're at in our country or around the world, we thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Now sit back and enjoy this week's message. If uh, you're a visitor here, um, we're just really excited that you joined with us. We're in the middle of a message series entitled Blockbusters. And what we've been doing over uh, the last few weeks is um, we've kind of been sharing that Hollywood has kind of figured out uh, that there are some incredible stories and historical events uh, located within Scripture. And they've realized they don't need screenplay writers. Um, All they need to have is individuals who've actually read the Bible, and they can have the best screenplay ever written. And so they're starting to come out with lots of movies depicting these events. And so we thought we'd have a little fun and jump into the Bible and take out some stories that have action and adventure. Um, And today we're going to talk about uh, three different stories that have a lot of drama. Um, But if you're a type A individual and personality, let me tell you where we're going to go today. Uh, We're going to share three stories from Scripture. Each of them tie into each other and each of them have one unifying thought. And as we do, I'm going to lead off with a question that I'm going to ask each of you that you can be able to answer for yourselves. But before we do that, I want to kind of lead us in uh, with a little bit of a story here that when I was growing up, there was one game that I used to love to play and it was called the game Perfection. Do you remember this game? You put this on the table and you push a timer to a certain place, and your job is, is before the time runs out, you have to take the little circles and the triangles and the squares, and you've got to be able to put it in the little holes that they're supposed to go into, and you've only got a set amount of time to do it, because if you don't get all the pieces in the right place, the spring will launch, the table will fly up, and all the pieces will scatter in your face. I like to think there was an evil toy maker who decided that that's going to happen as if to say, in your face every time that it happens. And so the thing about it, though, is is the game perfection. Why did people love it? Why did they just kind of enjoy playing? The toy makers realize that there is something called anticipation stress that all of us will go through from time to time. And this game really keys in on anticipation stress. Do you ever notice if you've played it before that as you first start, you're putting pieces in, but then something happens when the timer gets toward the end and you feel like it's been a long time. You start rushing and you, ah, I gotta get the circle, ah, boom, and it blows up in your face. They key in on that anticipation stress and what happens is, is that stress will either cause you and push you forward to doing the thing you needed to do or for some of us, will overload you and your thinking, and not allow you to even do the most simplest of tasks, like taking a circle and putting it into a circle. Let me give you a definition. The definition of anticipation stress is the anxiety and emotional fatigue suffered before meaningful life experiences, whether positive or negative. The truth is, is we all go through anticipation stress. We do that through conversations, whether we have to have a big conversation with a spouse or with a family member. We anticipate how it might go. We anticipate what I need to say. How many of you have ever said, all right, I need to have a meeting with my boss and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write down all the things I need to say to him and I'm going to say it. And you tell an accountability partner, I'm going to go into that office and I'm going to tell him this. And then you get out of that meeting and your accountability partner says, how did it go? And you say, well, did you do everything that you said you were going to say? Well, anticipation stress. And you get into the moment and you either are going to push through or you're going to change and not do what you wanted to do. So here's a question that I have to lead off the service that I want everyone in this room to answer. 
What will you do the next time you have a choice to either fit in or stand out? What will you do the next time anticipation stress builds and you know you need to do something and the question for you is, will I stand out and will I do what I'm supposed to do? Or will I just go ahead and cave in and fit in because the anticipation stress is too great? We're going to take a look at three stories today. And Jesus Christ actually models for us the answer to that question. So we're going to set the scene in three different places. I'm going to try my best to tell you three different stories so that you don't get lost. But then we're going to tie it all in at the end. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to John chapter 5. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the fourth gospel. It tells the story of Jesus Christ and his ministries. And we set the scene at a place called the Pool of Bethesda. Now, if you've ever been to Israel, and we just got back just a few months ago, we actually stood at the Pool of Bethesda. It's near the Sheep Gate in the old city of Jerusalem, and actually it's excavated today. You can actually see a lot of the relics and a lot of the um, ruins that are there and still located there today. And so what ends up happening is as people gather around, because what legend says is at the Pools of Bethesda, the water would sit there, and from a natural spring, the people would see the water begin to stir or to bubble. And so what legend says was, is that an angel's wing dipped into the water, stirred the water, and if you were lame, if you were sick, if you were diseased, and you were able to get into the water while it was stirring or bubbling, you would be healed. So here at the pools of Bethesda, you have a lot of sick, lame, diseased watching the water. And this is where we start our first story. John chapter 5, verse 1 through 7. Here we go. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the sheep gate, was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. So picture the scene. You've got crowds of people Dozens, if not hundreds, of lame and diseased individuals hoping and praying that today would be the day I'm delivered. Today would be the day that I'm going to be healed. I'm going to see the water stir. I'm going to get into the water before anybody else, and I'm finally going to be healed. And Jesus is going to enter, but there is one man that Jesus is going to focus on. Take a look at this. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. Years. Anytime you read the Bible, whether you know the Bible or not, whenever you see something so, so specific that says he's been sick for 38 years, one of the things that I encourage you to do is put yourself in the place of that individual. When you see things get so detailed, stop and say, what would it have been like to sit there and by the pool for 38 years and be diseased, lame, or sick, and every day have to get up and to sit at that pool continually? in that position. You'd have to be depressed. You'd have to lose your hope. You'd have to believe that nothing is going to change. And Jesus Christ enters the scene, and this is where it all changes. When Jesus saw him and knew that he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? This is why you have to put yourself in those shoes. 38 years. Of course I want to get well. But watch what he says. I can't, sir. The sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead 
of me. Jesus goes directly to one individual. There are dozens, if not hundreds of people around. And Jesus walks through the sheep gate, walks into the old city. He walks around people that are suffering from a disease. He he walks by people with a broken arm. The people know who Jesus is. Jesus, Jesus, and they're bothering him. Jesus, can you heal me? Jesus, come on. You're God. Come on, Jesus, help me out. And Jesus walks past every single one of those individuals. And he goes to a man, and it says, because 38 years he had been sick. Why did he do that? I think this scripture points it out very clearly. Because the man says, I've been here for a long time, and no one will help. No one will help me to get well. No one will stand up for me. No one will take the time. Everyone brushes past me. Everyone overlooks me. No one is willing to stand out and to finally help. And if you're taking notes, here's the truth. Jesus was bothered by people who disregarded the down and out. Jesus walked past all the individuals. Why? Not because he didn't care about their sickness or their disease or their infirmity. No, Jesus went to the one person so he can model for you and I today to say, I went to this guy because for 38 years he's sick and no one is stopping and helping him. There is an injustice happening here, people, and I want you to see it. So I'm bothered. And because no one else will stand up for this individual, I will. And so Jesus Christ walks to this man in front of everybody. And this is what he says. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and he began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. If you know this story, the story goes on and it brings in the Pharisees and there's a lot more to it. But for today's time's sake, here's the truth. Jesus Christ was bothered by the fact that this person was overlooked, disregarded. He was bothered when the down and out are disregarded. It's a message for you and I as Christians. It's as if Jesus is saying to you and I, if you're my follower of Jesus Christ, you need to do what I did. You need to be bothered by that too. That when you see someone that's hurting, when you see a need and you can meet that need, you should be bothered by it. No longer should you turn and look and say, well, someone else can handle it. No longer should you stop and say, well, I don't have time. No longer should you say, well, I don't know if if I'm the right person for it. Jesus walked past all these individuals who sat and looked at him and said, you're God, you could heal me. Why are you walking past me? And Jesus did it to walk to this one man to show them. I'm bothered by the fact that all of you walked past by him and none of you are helping him. Here's the truth if you're a Christian in this world. It's time for Christians to be bothered by the down and out. It's time for Christians to be bothered by certain things. It's time for Christians to be the first to address issues in underserved communities. It's time for us to stop overlooking and to start saying, what can we do? It's time that Christians should be the first to show up to fill in the gap for kids in foster care. There are many times when we talk about the orphans and the widows and Christians say we should care for them, we should care for them, but what are you willing to do to actually do it? Are you actually willing to say when God says you should do something about it, are you willing to say, God, I'm going to trust you? I'm going to not look at my resources, not look at my time, not look at any excuse, not justification. I'm going to step up and say, you know what, you've been speaking to my heart and I'm going to stand up and I'm going to do something. 
Christians should be the first people to show up and heal racial tension. It's time for Christians to stand up in churches and to say, I don't care what color, what culture, what background you're from. You are a child of God, and I'm your brother or sister in Christ, and God loves you like he loves me. If not Christians, then who? It's time for Christians to be bothered by this. Christians should be the first to say, this is not a political issue. This is a people issue. It's time for Christians to look past that and to say, I'm going to step up and I'm going to help because people matter to God. Jesus Christ went to that man so that Christians today could finally say, enough with the excuses. I'm bothered by it and I'm going to do something about it. I'm not going to think about anybody else, but I'm going to do something about it. What a model by Jesus. What an incredible story, which leads us to our next story. So if you're following along, type A's. In our second story, let me set this up. There's a man by the name of Lazarus. Lazarus was a dear friend of Jesus. And Lazarus' family had Mary and Martha involved. And they send word to Jesus that Lazarus is very, very sick upon death. And they're hoping that Jesus, because they knew that he can heal, they were hoping that he would come back so that he could touch and he can heal Lazarus. But unfortunately, Lazarus dies. Jesus comes upon the scene, and this is where we pick up our second story. Take a look. When Jesus saw her weeping, family members of Lazarus, the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Pause. Now, a lot of you Bible study students, you've always thought that the only time that Jesus ever got angry was when? When he flipped the tables over in the temple. Wrong. He was angry at this moment too. However, theologians will tell you he wasn't angry at people. He wasn't just angry at life. Jesus was angry at sin and death. Jesus saw the people so overwhelmed, weeping and wailing, distracted, no joy, that Jesus welled up and was troubled with anger because of what the enemy had done and for what his mission was to accomplish. And the word says that he was deeply troubled. Isn't it interesting in the original language where he says he was stirred up with trouble, with anger. That same word is the same word that you see at the pool of Bethesda where the waters were stirred and had power. Jesus was stirred with anger, which led him to a very powerful moment. Continuing on. Where have you put him? He asked him. They told him, Lord, come see. Then Jesus wept. And why do I have that highlighted? Because it's the most memorized scripture in the Bible. It's three words, people. Come on, we need to up our game a little bit. Next slide. The people who were standing nearby said, wow, see how much he loved him? But some said, this man healed the blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from even dying. All the people standing around looking, you're God? You should have kept him alive. So all the weeping, look what happened. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across his entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told him. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been in there for four days. The smell will be terrible. God, you can't do this. You roll that stone away, there's disease. God, it'll be awful. What are you doing? You don't do this. 
Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside and Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they would believe that you sent me. And Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth. Jesus told him, unwrap him and let him go. Don't miss this. Jesus was troubled. Jesus was angry. Jesus was bothered at sin and the consequences of sin because the consequences of sin is death. And Lazarus represented death. And Jesus stepped in as a picture to say, I am bothered by this. And I am going to model for you that you should be bothered by this too. And I'm going to show you what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to do something about sin because I'm that bothered by it. Christians should be bothered when they see sin. Christians should be bothered when they see a brother, a sister, a loved one, a friend doing something that is not right. And Christians should finally stand up and say, I love you, brother, but this is not right. Jesus modeled for us not to necessarily care how people would look at us, not to care about how it would affect our relationship, but to be able to stand up and to be able to say to a loved one, I love you, but you're wrong. It's not right. It's time for some Christians in this room to disregard the length and time of relationship and start lifting up the truth that God has given you. No longer should you stand and cower in anticipation stress. Well, you know, it's, I, I don't want to hurt his feelings. Well, you know, I've known him for 20 years. Well, you know, everyone knows that he does this. And, you know, I mean, that's just how it is. No! Jesus modeled and said, you should be bothered and troubled and angered when you see sin. And you as Christians should stand up and to say, I love you, but it's not right. It's time for Christians to lead. And Lazarus was a great example because Jesus used him as an example to conquer sin and death. The end of story two, which leads us to story three. And in story three happens right after story two. They're holding a celebration for Lazarus. Why not? He just rose from the dead. I would sit and say, hey, how is it like? I'd like to know. Mary and Martha and Lazarus are all in their house together. And here's what happens. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany at the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor, and Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Let me set the scene for you a little bit. Jesus walks into the home. The disciples are there along with a man by the name of Judas Iscariot. For you that are not Christians and don't know the story, Judas was the one who betrayed Jesus Christ. And so Judas is there and he is one of the disciples. He handles the money. It's also interesting to know that Judas many, many times would end up shortchanging the treasury and stealing from the treasury. Jesus knew this. And so here you've got Judas and the disciples. They're sitting there. They're hanging out at this dinner party. Jesus walks in the room, sits down. Martha, which is no surprise, is running around the house making sure everything is just perfect. And there's a woman by the name of Mary who walks up in tears. 
and is going to model for us what Jesus has been trying to tell us through each of the first two stories. And Mary walks up to Jesus and is going to do something that is going to cause some to look and judge, but it's going to cause one to look and praise. Take a look and see. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. If you've never believed that the Bible is true, come on, people, essence of nard? They don't make this stuff up. This is pretty amazing. And she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance. Let me explain this to you. Mary opens up an alabaster box that contains an incredible 12 ounces of very expensive perfume. That perfume in that box was worth one year's salary. A lot of money. And Mary, while everyone is running around, goes up to Jesus, kneels at his feet with tears running down her eyes, cracks open the box to the horror of Judas, who is looking at that saying, we could have sold that and used the money for ministry. By the way, theologians will say, Jesus also knew that Judas didn't have the right reasons, that Jesus knew that he was hoping to gain from the profit on the sale of that perfume. Instead, she opens it, she pours it over Jesus, and she begins to anoint him and wipe his feet with her hair. And Judas, the disciples, start condemning her and saying, why would you do this? Why would you waste this? What do you think you're doing? And watch what Jesus says to her act. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. In other words, she gets it. She knows that time is short. She knows how important I am. She understands the gravity of the situation. And in the moment, she is doing the right thing. You will always have poor among you. In other words, yeah, you could have sold the money, but you're going to always have poor. She gets it in this moment because you will not always have me. The disciples were bothered that she wasted all that perfume. And Jesus stands up and says, you don't get it. I'm bothered by the fact that you don't understand that I represent in your life truth. And the truth is I am about to be prepared. I'm about to sacrifice myself. And she recognizes and sees what's happening and she's doing what she should do. She's not cowering to sin. And she's not avoiding and justifying things. She's not making excuses. Well, I can't do it for everybody, so I'm just not going to do it at all. She is doing it for me because I am here and she has me. Here's the bottom line and here's the tie-in for all three of these messages. Jesus Christ from time to time will speak directly to your heart. Jesus will allow you to go home today and as you're going home, he will grab your heart and he will say, do you see that? You need to do something about it. You need to say hello to that person. You need to walk up. You need to help. You need to support. You need to give. Jesus is going to do that in your life and here's what we do. Because of sin in our life, we make excuses. Because of justifications in our life, we say, well, I can't do it for everybody, so I shouldn't do it at all. And Jesus is trying to get our attention and saying, no, I'm talking to you. This is not about everyone else. This is not about the situation. I am speaking to you, and I want you as a Christian, as a follower, to trust me and take a step of faith. 
In other words, I want you to do for the few that you can't do for the many. I want you to, in the moment when I speak, to not make excuses, but to meet a need when I tell you to meet a need. Could you imagine, church, if every Christian in this room, when God spoke and said, you should do that, that we would actually listen, not make excuses, justifications, wonder what it's going to do, but we would say, God, you told me I should do this, and so I'm going to do it. Do you think that God can take care of the details? Do you think that God would not bless you because you're doing it? Of course he will because he's God. And because, as we looked earlier, you believe. These messages tie in together for one simple purpose for you and I. When Jesus Christ speaks to your heart and says, you should do this, are you willing to do it? Are you willing to focus and say, God, I'm going to meet the need because you've called me to meet it. I'm not going to make excuses. In other words, the next time your anticipation stress builds, Jesus speaks to your heart and says, you should do this. Will you choose to stand out or fit in? Because when you stand out, you will fit into what Christ desires of your life. We're going to do things different today. I'm going to ask the band if they would come out and Tangina is going to sing a song for us. But here's what I believe. I truly, truly, truly believe today. I believe as I was preaching that many of you, when I brought up and said certain things in your heart, you know that God has been saying something to you. I should do this, say this, stand up, support this. God has been saying that to you. And you've been doing your best to ignore it as indigestion. And while Tangina sings this song, here's what I want you to do. I want you to have an honest conversation with Jesus. I want you to listen to the words. I want you to ask God, God, are you speaking to me? And my prayer is is that your answer to him, whatever it is, will be yes. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information about the ministries at Ocean View, or if you'd like to speak to someone directly, you can visit our website at www.ovbc.org. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.